Hello and welcome to uh, Rediscovering Liberalism. So this is uh, kind of a, a brainchild of all three of ours. We, uh, again, my name is Austin. This is Jacob. Jacob. And then this, this, is Josh. this one over here is Josh. Uh, and so we are, we basically came together in a time of like, uh, where a time of political discourse is not as like highly valued uh, in our society, especially with those who do not agree with you. Um, and I would also say that one of the most important things that was foundational for the, the idea for this podcast or kind of it's, it's like intellectual backbone, if you will, is certainly like, um, again, just exactly what the title says. Uh, classical liberalism was known not really for like any policy position or any like, you know, tax rate should be this or our social policy on, you know, gay marriage is that, but rather uh, it was more so kind of valuing the idea that everybody gets an opinion and everybody should be kind of respected for that opinion, uh, be given the dignity to kind of be heard out. Um, and certainly I think it's the burden of every single person that approaches this uh, to be more of like, uh, bring ration um, and bring logic to, you know, your opinions. But I think everybody's kind of owed their due for what they think. Uh, and again, on that note, I think that this show is more so just stresses uh, brings current news, current events, um, but also like it can be things from far ranging uh, like tech uh, all the way to law and politics uh, to business. So again, uh, certainly no holds barred on the topics we're going to be talking about, but it is going to be kind of focused on that idea that um, no idea or no, no concept should be thrown out of the public square uh, except by the route of like being logicked uh, out of it, if you will. So. On that note, uh, the three kind of foundational ideas that we have for like uh, all hosts or the three hosts that we have um, is that we, you know, remain calm when other people say things that we dislike, certainly using that golden rule of like treating everybody how we want to be treated. And that goes for if we ever have guests or any like invited like callers or any participants outside of us three, uh, that would be a very, uh, very important thing. And then as we've already said, you know, comfortably accepting different conclusions on a controversial issue, certainly not needing to always be right, but just having the conversation. So. Again, on those notes, I would say, uh, if you guys want to introduce yourselves a little bit, again, my name is Austin. I am uh, currently a like corporate trainer at a financial institution here in Fargo. So uh, you want to take it away, Mr. Luzikowski? Yeah, uh, my name is Josh. I currently work in an IT position for SFGEL. Awesome. And I'm Jacob, and I am an accountant in the hospitality industry. Boom. Yeah, so if you can't tell, the, the general direction is going to be uh, uh, and again, education, if you want to say anything. So my background is certainly more political science. So I think what I bring to the table, uh, at least conversationally, is my useless bachelor's degree. Uh, and I think that's pretty important for this group. So Josh, do you, uh, you worked at like a repair company for like Best Buy, it was called Geek Squad. Yes. And that gave you like, or have you always been interested in politics? Yeah, to an extent. Um, I guess my interest more focused in the technology sector and nice. the way that affects things. I think that's actually going to be one of our first conversation topics for today. Uh, Jacob, what are your what are your big interests? What are you bringing to the table here? Yeah, well, my background, I have a bachelor's degree in finance, and I, I enjoy economics and, and those sort of discussions. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we're going to start off with uh, a little bit of tech news. So uh, this one comes to us from Mr. Lizakowski, uh, the first conversation. And again, it's not going to be like the podcast certainly isn't necessarily uh, topic driven, but it is going to be more so let's like kind of just 
throw out the first thing, see where the conversation takes us, and if we need recentering onto the next topic ever, which I don't imagine we will all the time, uh, we certainly can rock and roll from there. So the first topic we're going to be kind of conversating about a little bit today, I would suppose actually since this was like recommended to the group, it's kind of become a little bit of old news or it's developed further that's, down its stream. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, not as, certainly doesn't have the shock value that it did in the beginning. So uh, Epic Games, um, and actually some of the newest news coming out of this whole uh, legal drama is Epic Games asks Judge to put Fortnite back on Apple's App Store. So uh, again, given the introduction that we just had, do you want to give us a little bit of background? Like, what is your understanding of this issue? What, like, represent both sides in an unbiased fashion. <clears throat> what, what's Epic Games saying? What is Apple and, and is it Google Play, Microsoft? Well, who's the other entity they're fighting? Google, yeah, Google is also in a legal battle with Epic as well. Okay, can you explain a little bit about like what what's the backbone of the battle? What's the sure. what's at stake here? So yeah, so what kind of kicked this off is Epic with its uh, massive success with Fortnite and their, their Epic game store on PC mm -hmm. and what they have on mobile, they've become one of the biggest uh, gaming uh, producers and uh, game uh, selling platforms as well. Um, and uh, with this power that they have, uh, they want to take back a bit of the, the leverage and control uh, from Apple and Google uh, with the way that their games generate revenue on the, their, their mobile platforms. Um, so what um, Epic ended up doing was um, routing their own uh, uh, first party non Apple and Google store inside of their app. Um, like which, they coded it into their software? Yep. So they created their own like, store <laughs> inside of their application, okay. which bypassed Apple and Google's like, payment processing methods. So um, because, because if I understand correctly, when it's through the App Store, Apple or Google takes is up to, I think, 30% cut, 30 right? is what Apple does. So I for every it's similar for Google as Yeah. Well. So I mean, for so them, that's a fairly significant mm -hmm. part of their revenue. That yeah, was a huge. That was being lost in the current system. Part of the revenue system. So they wanted to create their own system to, to be able to keep more that. of their own money. They had completely taking any yep. revenue away yep. from Apple Google, actually. Um, Go ahead. If you have more. So this is a really interesting, like, parallel. Uh, at least in my own mind, um, I was just yesterday or two days ago. I was watching this documentary on Amazon, and like. It sounds super similar. Amazon went through in the early 2000s, they went through an incredible PR nightmare when their books, so they were in the beginning, uh, God created the heaven and the earth and there was Amazon <laughs> and they were largely a book distributor. Yep. That's, that's largely what their foundations were. And when they were this book distributor, they actually became like that was, this was Bezos and McKenzie's goal at the time, or Jeff and McKenzie's goal at the time was to form this like uh, the world's biggest bookstore no brick and mortar, and I was supposed to be the, the store, the catch-all cool store. Online. The big thing was when he created the the book, the online bookstore, he, Simon and & Schuster, uh, and of course now I, I list off one, I can embarrass myself, I can't list any other big publishers off, but all these other publishers, big and small, came to Amazon and were like, hey, you guys basically control what our user, what your users can see, basically what the internet can see. Like, you can basically shut down this publisher at your at your whim. The, and I'm basically in my mind making the comparison that like those same book distributors, it sounds like Epic for, Epic Games is lodging that same compl complaint. But my heart kind of does go off to like, these distributors, like it wasn't overnight that Apple, Apple Store became the like 
coveted, yes, let me get my app on this store so I can make money off it. Like it didn't become this huge, the same way Amazon didn't become this big like distributor overnight. Where do you find the line between like, okay, yeah, Epic Games is losing. They're only making 70% as compared to 100%, but you're also benefiting with, you wouldn't be able to access this market without Apple's platform. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to put out a mobile application on the scale without a Google Apple. So do either of you fall, where do, and where, whoever wants to talk next, who, where do you fall on the scale? Do we fall, what, what corporation are we gonna bleed our hearts out for? Is it gonna be Epic Store or is it gonna be like the now recently minted $2 trillion company, Apple? Yeah, so I think, I think if I understand correctly, correctly um, so with Apple, they're a little bit more restrictive than Google because Google, you can, they have their Google store, mm-hmm. but there's ways to get apps that are not on the store yeah. on your phone easier, whereas Apple doesn't, it's basically like if you wanna run an app on your iPhone, you Absolutely. need to go through Apple. So I would say, mm-hmm. That's, I think that's kind of one of the tricky parts. Google like, doesn't necessarily make it super easy. Yeah, it's, it's like, not easy, but they, there they is like... Place a lot of warnings before you can actually... Yeah, and obviously that's for, for security. I mean, you don't want to be downloading malware and stuff. Exactly. So I mean, their, their intentions, I think, are, are trying to be good. At least that's what yeah. they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, at, at the same time, like if you buy iPhone, that's your property. So if I want to put an app on there, yeah. you know, I, I could see why... It is sort of a monopoly of once you have the iPhone, you can only use... Like you can't get it any other way. So that's where I think it gets a little tricky is it's like you can't, even though you own the iPhone, you pay for it, it's your property, but you can't necessarily use it in the way that you would you would want. It'd be sort of like if you bought a Microsoft computer, but you couldn't use Gmail, you had to use Microsoft OneDrive, right? I mean, it'd be like, it'd be like they're saying you can only use one thing. So I think that's where it gets a little tricky where they do kind of control a fair amount of the market for people. Yeah, I guess you could yeah. switch to Google, but even then it's like, there's kind of two main choices. It's, it's well, not a monopoly, but it's a thing whole monopoly. That, uh, kind of goes into that is um, with Apple's software, it's all proprietary and it's all, um, they control and own all of it. Yeah. Um, versus the Android um, operating system, each phone manufacturer has um, like creative freedom to tweak the operating system how they want. Yeah. And it's a little bit more open source. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And I think Google's open source. Yeah. So that, that kind of um, lends its way to making installing um, third party apps and just like how you can control your phone a lot more easy on Google. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you, Josh, do you typically, where do you fall? Would you, if you were a judge in this case, like what? Let's first consider what Jacob said. First consider the fact that like it is, it's an incredibly complicated, like if, if it's not a monopoly, it's darn close. Does that It's change? an oligopoly at, at least, yeah. yeah. There's, Does, there's two big choices. You have, mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, there's two choices. Google Does that change your, your opinion? Like in the fact that like, do you think that, here, and, and here's the thing, it's gotta be like, what's the argument? Like what's the, is the legal argument? Cause obviously, Human beings don't have a right to a game. Like I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> sure. what what point? Like Apple has established this; they invested in. And again, if you like, it's easy to watch these things. Like look at these huge companies, and just like immediately kind of turn off any sort sort of like, are, are they owed any rights? Are they owed any like because they're these mass, you know, vast megaliths of society? I'm just wondering, like. Who are we, like, Epic Games also makes a crap ton of money. Yeah, they're by no means a small company. And it looks like the most recent news out of this story, just published yesterday or two days ago, Epic Games is asking a judge to put it Fortnite back on Apple's App Store. 
Like, so it kind of seems like they're hurting. So I'm wondering, like, it, first and foremost, and I made this point when you and I were talking, this is kind of just coming back to me. Why are we playing first-person shooters on mobile? Like, <laughs> that, that is of, all the, of all the stances I'm going to take on this podcast, this is the one that's it's going to be the most, like, no, I feel the most, like, I'm going to bang my fist against, why are we playing first-person shooters on the mobile platforms? Like, and I don't mean to judge anybody who is playing it, but I mean, that's oh, another, terrible at it. Even, like, connecting that uh, point to your argument, uh, I wouldn't say mobile is where they get the majority of their revenue. I would assume they get mostly from consoles and then secondary source of income would be from PCs, is what I would guess. But so is it the argument here's... they're putting in front of the judge? Is it numbers? Is it, hey, I'm, I'm whining because I don't make 30, and I'm not trying to frame it in like a malevolent sense. What are What is their argument here? Is it, hey, I feel unfairly gypped that I've worked so hard to make this game and like, I think they feel that that Apple's taking a 30% cut without, like they wrote the code, they made the game, they did all the marketing for it, and then Apple's just here skimming 30% off the top. I think it's more of just like, they feel like they put in the work so they should get most so of the money. I can really understand that, but imagine a world, my friend, imagine a world in which the internet never was. Okay, follow me here, follow my train of thought. Yep. The internet never was, but we still have the like global logistics system of UPS and FedEx. What happens if like, you're still only in 2020, can you imagine the horror but let's say you're still in the boxed game mode, right? You don't, you can't download things digitally. It still comes in a box in the mail that you order off, whatever. Would Amazon or would these companies be suing UPS and FedEx for like, hey, you guys are gouging me because you're charging $20 to get the box to my, and so I have to cut. My argument is, is it seriously only the fact that like, people, my, 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 I think my main argument boiled down to what, what I'm feeling here is, and I'm not trying to stand up for either company, but I am going to like say a small pitch out there for the fact that like, these platforms are not hard or are not easy to develop, let alone deploy. Sure. On a, on a massive scale. On a There's massive scale. And I, exactly. And I think people look at these app stores or like these file hosting or like the cloud storage stuff and they go, well, there's almost no work that's actively going into it. So what are you charging me for? Well, I'm charging you for the setup costs and I'm charging you for the immaculate amount of like engineers, both, you know, computer and network, whatever. I think my point is, well, A, what argument is Epic Store bringing here? And B, is it is that a good one? Go okay, ahead, so I, I guess what I would say to that, so if I understand correctly, it, Epic redirected, is this correct? Epic redirected their payment system to their own Let's like, say you website could download it through the, I believe you could download it through Apple, but not then, pay, and then open, you'd still need. Josh, would you still need? Because you can't just download this Fortnite. Oh, is it free to play? It is, yeah. That's what they did. So you download the app free to play. But then they and redirect then all the payments completely. at a different they site. They code it in a new system that yeah. bypasses. Which yeah. it sounds like this, and so this article think, sounds like you can get Apple's approval for something like this in rare circumstances. Yeah. There's an appeals process yeah. for this itself. So I think, I think the main, uh, yes, obviously I think we can agree, yeah, app stores aren't just magical things that happen. They do take effort and labor that went into developing and maintaining them. Exactly. And that's, that's a fair thing to want to have a, a cut of it. They are doing something. I think that the main thing, at least for me, that I would say is a little a little bit of a problem would be that the Apple doesn't allow you to use a different app store. If a different company wanted to make an alternate app store so this is and, and be able to like- You can do an Android. Exactly, and that's like, where Android is a little bit different. Stores, okay. There's Kindle stores. They have alternate there's... stores that then, there's sort of competition between the stores. Say, okay, well, Google store is gonna block me, but I can go to this other website and get it. And, and that's they, something that they have actually took advantage of with Samsung. Yeah. They so launched the, their mobile app with Samsung exclusive. Whereas Apple will say, yeah. even if you like, even if you don't want to use their store, 
you still can't put it on the iPhone. And obviously, I think I so mean, there's a huge subset of people do, have. Do these people have access? Is there like a, a binding corporate right to this, do you think? Like, is it, what if Apple just said for some completely arbitrary reason, hey, no, we have our own FPS that's coming out soon. We're going to choose to say no. Like, are they abiding by like, does the Telecommunications Act require that they be have access to like, I'm wondering what their legal footing is besides like a feel-good story, right? Like I'm wondering where, and again, we're not, I'm not saying we're corporate lawyers. I'm just <laughs> saying like, I'm wondering where this stems from. Like you well, can't I mean, argue you look, to me that, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I mean, if you look back at history, I mean, you have a, in the 90s, Microsoft had a huge antitrust suit, right? And that was because, if yeah, I remember correctly, they, they were putting, uh, Internet Explorer was being bundled with the operating system Windows. Yeah. And so the other uh, main like web browser, Netscape, they complained that they had an unfair advantage because when people bought computers with Windows, it came with Internet Explorer, so then it was just bundled together so they couldn't sell their Netscape as effectively because people already had a, a default product with Windows. Sure. And so I think oh, it's, it's sort of like, a, and, and I believe the courts ruled that that was a, a violation of their monopoly power in the computing industry and that I don't know what the exact settlement was, but I, I think they did say that was, you know, not something that was. Sure, your argument is less so centered on the, uh, you know, by what right? It's more so like, the the greater risk is we have a monopoly on our hands. Yeah, yeah. I think you sure. you don't want monopolies so aren't good. I mean, in a, in a, is kind of might be in the same position as Microsoft where they're. There's software yeah. is limiting the hardware. Well, there lies my next. Well, there's an obvious next question then. How how far do you take these antitrust? Because Trump has just recently launched a yeah. like antitrust into Apple, Google uh, as well. Was, was it Apple too? Amazon too? Like maybe it sounds Facebook. like yeah, maybe it's all five or the big four, or big yeah. five or whatever. Like That's I know you're 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 story. a rather big fan of and and to be honest, and I'll let you speak to this as much as you want. I the the main point is I do agree that like antitrust like trust busting is absolutely critical to a functional capitalistic society yes. absolutely been, i don't know how long you decades Dec well i it's like, like was that anti that wasn't really trust but they were they didn't break Microsoft them up, up but i think they no. i don't and i but since we've had it on the scale of like what was it like tv and phones and like back in like the older technology have they ever trust busted have they ever fully technology added? stuff yeah. i don't believe so not since like the day of like like AT&T, AT yeah. or AT yeah, Bell, Bell yeah, Telephones. Bell, exactly. Yep. Not since that. Which that was so long ago. Long time ago. I mean, that was landline like, telephones we're yeah. talking. So that was, was that like 1900s? Like was 1880? Yeah. I mean, yeah, so we, we could probably check that, fact check yeah. that. But yeah, it was, so it was definitely a while ago. Uh, and then another thing that um, I just kind of thought of, uh, mm -hmm. it's interesting. I just looked up uh, the statistics for what. Um, Xbox and PS4 uh, take as a cut. Mm -hmm. um, Microsoft is taking 20% uh, of the revenue while Sony is taking 30. Okay. And it's interesting that, um, and I think it's kind of uh, sh shows a point of what, why they're doing this only on mobile versus uh, not doing a console. They haven't uh, tried to circumvent um, Sony or Microsoft in their stores or bring them to court. That is interesting. And it's, um, definitely um, kind of shows like, even though they're losing revenue from Sony and Microsoft, um, that's their big cut and that's where they're, they're really making their money. Um, yet uh, on the platforms, they're still more new and not making as much money. They're willing kind of, to kind of like push the line and experiment yeah. and kind of see what they can do because 
Yeah, less money to lose. From yeah, and I suppose space. if they're successful, then maybe they then would be emboldened to try, to yeah, try exactly. fighting Sony or, or Xbox mm -hmm. is probably would be their end game. Yeah. But yeah, that that is uh, that is a good point. That's definitely something to take into account. Uh, U.S. the American Tobacco Company, 1911. That is what? That was the most recent. Found to have monopolized the trade. <laughs> so it's been over a... That's what it's saying. Years. <laughs> so we still had laws. The Clayton Antitrust Act was passed in 1914 wow. to increase government's capacity to intervene. There was some steel stuff. See, I thought it was some commodity, like it's national a lot commodity. Of oil and railroads were the big ones back then. Oh, yeah, then to control, to control big business, the New Deal policymakers preferred federal and state regulation, controlling the rates and telephone services provided by AT&T, for example, and by building up countervailing power in the form of labor unions. Okay. I suppose labor unions are just like a natural, like rubs against the grain of commercial growth kind of thing because it's like, it obviously fights big, like you're not just growing for the sake of growth. You actually have to protect your workers and stuff. Yeah, it will be rather interesting. I suppose the antitrust, in and of itself, the antitrust question is, is a, what happens after they, what happens after they get broken up? Is it more of like a, like transition into here's your new CEO number two, here's your new CEO number three, or like, uh, what does well, that look like I think that's part of the, the challenges of breaking up tech is it's not always as as easy as say breaking up a landline phone system you can just divide in regions whereas like the internet is it's, well, it's yeah, harder to break Google's it up. Google has been kind of preparing for this in a sense because uh, Google is, has made their parent company Alphabet which uh, breaks up the, the management of their businesses so they, they have their business with Android, Google, YouTube is under like a Google CEO who mm -hmm. runs this. And then they have their categories like cloud and their experimental kind of like throw uh, arrow to the wind and see if you hit. Um, the moonshot programs. Yeah, the moonshot yeah. programs where they're just trying to see if they can build like anything like from like self-driving cars to um, all kinds of experimental technology. So they've, they've purposely kind of like prepared for the events of like, hey, we have our company structured in a way that uh, it's a little bit more separate, and then also um, in the need to like split off, they could probably do it fairly easily. Yeah, and I think I think the main thing that people would like, the people who want these companies broken up, I think a major thing, and this would apply to Amazon as well, but I think they want like companies that have marketplaces, so like the apps are sort of a marketplace. I think they want the marketplace to be separate from people who are selling in the marketplace. Like if you look at Amazon, they sell, like you can be a private seller and sell on Amazon, but Amazon themselves also sells in the same marketplace. So and, I think, I think people- investigations in, on Amazon, like they, they've using the products that are uh, similar to their top sellers. And yeah. they've been investigating to whether like they've been like abusing that power. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that, that'd be one thing you maybe could do if you wanted to yeah. try to bust them if you say, okay, you can run the marketplace, but a separate company is going to be selling in it. You can't do both because otherwise there's going to be a, a very strong profit incentive to favor your own products at the expense of other people. Mm -hmm. And Google has faced similar issues where um, they would like promote their own Google shopping. Yeah. Um, things. On their searches. And Europe has just been the town on Google yeah. for different like advertising and the right to be forgotten. Yeah. They've definitely, Europe has definitely been more progressive when it comes to. Can you um, explain on that, expand on that, right to be forgotten? So like say if, if someone posts something like derogatory or like defames you, like 
uh, people in Europe, and I think they might have already passed this. Like slander? Um, yes, slander or just like negative press. They, they might may have passed legislation that allows these results to be kind of like put in the back. After like so many years, right? It's like they'll say, yeah, there's yeah. a news article about you or some person or some company after a certain amount of years, if you yeah. if you want, they, they can like make it not searchable or not, not as discoverable. Yeah, kind of take it off the listings. Wow. That's, yeah, that, and I would say another point with Amazon is their businesses are so far scaling, like they have their cloud services, which is the, their most profitable mm -hmm. business. And then of course they have their online marketplace their video and music streaming services. Did you hear what kicked then, off their AWS service? What like really made them to market? No. AWS, they got to, Amazon, they got Amazon Web Service, that would be their, their cloud their computing. Cloud no, I know, but do you know what they, do you know what big contract? Uh, market share in, in their cloud computing services over Amazon. A CIA over, contract got them there. It was a CIA, they got to rebuild, they got to rebuild the really CIA angry. network. They were really angry. I know, uh, Google just, or no, Microsoft went on a huge contract for another government uh, uh, agency and uh, Amazon accused them of uh, like having preferential treatment because of, uh, I don't think that Trump and Bezos really get along. Well, actually, of course he does. He thinks that that was also built into the, uh, the documentary that the theory was that Trump thinks Bezos runs the Washington Post, the newspaper, yeah. like he would run a business where like he's very actively involved. He's got his fingers in everything exactly. and it's just trying to make him sound good. Bezos just runs this company and probably had some editor say something bad about him. And now he's like, oh yeah, well, you want to play that game. I got the arms of the federal government on my side. I'm <laughs> sure I, that's what it is. Another thing, um, forgive me for my, like my miss, um, didn't, wasn't there, uh, a journalist uh, who worked for the Post that was, or I don't know if he had ties with the Post. Jamal Khashoggi? Yeah, that was, was he was, he was a Washington Post, Post. Yeah. yeah. And he went uh, to the embassy in Syria, for Syria and Turkey and did not come out alive. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the Syrians, right? It was the Saudis. The Saudis, the Saudi Arabians. Um, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, and I Did they really? Yeah, and they, yeah, them and the Washington Post don't really get along. Yeah, all that being said, I so the antitrust stuff, the like, all those things, I, I, like, in case by case basis, I think that like, I it would obviously be mindless to just say that like all five of them without, and I haven't done the appropriate amount of research to even be I able feel to like say. Apple would be one of the hardest. Their products be more streamlined, and they, they they don't really branch out as much as other companies. Which yeah. is a huge credit to them, like how they built their their device business uh, to be one of the most valuable in the world. Are you talking world. about a vertical monopoly? Is that what that is? Like they control all of the like the chip all the way up to? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. When you say they manufacture their their own products through and through, but they don't really they they don't have like such a big cloud uh, platform as the others, mm -hmm. and they don't do online marketplace like the others. They're starting to branch onto the entertainment business with their TV series, but they really don't have, like, 
they're not as widespread. Yeah. Like Apple's yeah more vertical, where the other companies are just branching out into so many facets of business. The fastest um, with with Google and uh, Amazon likes Amazon to be in a little bit of everything. Yeah, uh, and Facebook is kind of more interesting with with uh, they kind of have maybe more. I don't know. They're trying to just dominate the market when it comes to social media platforms. Yeah. And, and the thing with a lot of these tech companies is is there's the thing called the, the network effects where once you get a lot of people, it, it draws more people in, right? On yeah. social media, if everyone's using it, like, then even more people join it. Facebook because I have more it, my family and friends. Exactly, right. And But if, if a social media network doesn't have that many people on it, it's not that useful because it's only useful if you can if your friends are on it, mm -hmm. right? And so, so some of these tech platforms, you know, operate on, on that sort of a model where the more people they get, the more other people want to join. Exactly. And that, those kind of things, obviously, if you're talking antitrust, they, they sort of lend themselves to becoming, you know, highly monopolistic. But if you break them up, then they're just not as useful. Because mm -hmm. if half your friends are on Snapchat and half your friends are on Facebook, then neither of them are, are quite as good. So it is sort of a weird. And is it just a rather inherent thing that the economy is going to take a pretty big hit when you do this? Is that a pretty, is it's just assumed that like, it is only in the corporate world can you take two, one entity and make them two safely. Like you can't do that in the real world. Like you, it's just, well, how do people get back on their feet? Do they, do they, like, is it structured in a way that like, they're, cause they're two businesses now, correct? Yeah. Is it just, does the government decide who's the new executive and like who's the new who go what employees go to what do you know i, the I don't know exactly. what the cross section the, the is between like yeah yeah, yeah no, i think i'm asking more of a boring logistical question <laughs> than I am. yeah no i i don't know exactly i assume they probably just the government maybe has some some concept of who gets like what divisions get split off but i think from there the companies can decide how to okay. do you I would have assume, a wager of what the percentage of like the market share that Facebook controls on the social media platform. Oh, I um, bet it's I bet it's like eighty five. I was gonna say seventy to eighty. It's gotta be close because if you look at their platforms, like all of their social media platforms, you have Facebook with uh, a current two point six billion active users. Yeah. And that's just their active users. So that's not not all their users. And then you have the WhatsApp platform which they own. That's at two billion. And then you have Instagram at a billion by itself. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at like, about five and a half billion users just with those platforms. Uh, YouTube comes in the second place at two billion. Um, that wasn't even, I just realized I wasn't kind for Facebook Nestor, which you could really put as an extension of Facebook. Yeah. Um, and then uh, TikTok is quite less at 800 million. There's a lot of like foreign countries or foreign. Uh, platforms that show up in the last, um, and what surprised me is Twitter only has 326 million. So yeah, they completely dominate, especially in the US. Yeah. But TikTok, that's, you mentioned that, and I think that's another another topic that we could kind of. Yeah, going on to that one, that was the one that I actually that. had uh, pulled up for the next one. So TikTok, uh, under the radar, actually no longer just under the radar, it's more so in the crosshairs of uh, Trump and company now. Mm -hmm. So issued an executive order, President Trump did, and this was... This was several actually weeks ago, early August. Was, was about a, yep, about a month ago, uh, saying that in, within 45 <clears throat> days, all American companies or individuals must cease making transactions with ByteDance, 
that is a parent company of TikTok. Yep. They're based in China. Uh, and I think the big question here is, can he do it? I think the answer is no. Maybe he can. So yeah, it's, it's, and it was all done by an executive order, and that's also a rather like. And and perhaps another conversation. What I, I hope there's some president in the near future that like, is able to restrain themselves. And I I would I would also like in regards to these executive orders, it's not largely just the fault of the president. Like, Republicans did it under Obama, where he, if you can't legislate, they're, they're, they're going to do something. But Democrats did. No, no, I'm so sorry. Republicans, what I meant is, forgive me, allow me to explain. Republicans would just hold up Congress so much that oh, his only option was, I'm sorry, I didn't I see, stop thinking okay. saying it. Yes. He only had executive orders. Well, you could argue. Because of the gridlock. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's now the same thing. And again, place blame at anybody's feet if you want to. So again, this executive order states, TikTok automatically captures vast swaths of information from its users and that this threatens to allow the Chinese Communist Party access to Americans' personal and proprietary information, following by saying that it could potentially allow China to track the locations of federal employees and contractors, build dossiers of personal info for blackmail, and conduct corporate espionage. So yeah, so those are those are the worries, and obviously, there's a, a lot of um, a lot of feuding going on between America and China right now with tariffs and the trade war and and uh, a lot of a lot of stuff going on, and this is just the next. The next step of that is the technology trade war now, and, um, and I so mean, there, your, there are I think take? I think there are some you know some legitimate security concerns with China. China does do business in in different ways that are less transparent than than the West. You know they have what they call the Great Firewall, where they they do block certain American companies from operating there that they don't like. They are very uh, very much into censoring. Uh, opinions that that they don't like um, in in the mainland. That is, um, I, I don't know if there's any evidence of that happening on TikTok as of as of now, at least in the U.S. But there are, you know, China does do things in in a not free, not transparent way compared to what we're seeing in the West. So I think there are some legitimate concerns about how they how they operate, and the U.S. wouldn't be the first to ban it. The India banned TikTok. Uh, I believe maybe a month or, or so ago. Yeah. Um, so this wouldn't be, you know, just. And that was in response to a to a conflict um, against the border. There were some deaths. Yeah, there was a border too. skirmish between that India and China. Retaliatory act by India. Yeah, yeah. So there are some, you know, other countries. This isn't just the the United States kind of going, you know, completely off the rails here. There is some consensus other countries that countries like Australia and the countries in the yep, West are, are considering it. Yeah. So. There are, I think there are maybe some concerns with, with Chinese, you know, controlling that. Um, the, the flip side, the flip side, yeah, there is, there is, there a, is but. There's so a but. Here. The flip side would be um, hypothetical concerns. Obviously, are not the same as as real proof. And to me, I mean, if you look at the U.S. system, we usually operate on a "you're innocent until proven guilty" kind of thing. And I don't believe that I've seen, at least, or that I've heard any concrete evidence that China has been using Americans' data from TikTok. I, I think it's more that hypothetically maybe could, but if to me it's like, if you can't prove it, then I don't think you should ban it unless you have real evidence. If that's happening, you have real evidence, that's one thing. But if you're just saying it's a hypothetical that they could do something, I don't know if, if that's fair to ban a company based on a, a hypothetical. Um, and I, 
like, I don't know. It seems like just forcing them to try to sell is, it doesn't seem good for foreign businesses wanting to yeah, invest. Because you, you don't, it sets, it sets a, a exactly. Yeah. It sets a very dangerous precedent where if foreign businesses come to the US and we don't like them, then we just take them over or ban them. And, and that seems, I mean, that's, that doesn't yeah, seem like very dampens relationships when it comes to trade. Yeah. You want to have trust between countries and this just, you know, yeah, it, it just ratchets it up even more and there already is distrust and this just makes it even worse. It just makes makes the countries even further apart than they already are. And going into the, the, the uh, negotiations of sale, I know uh, it's a very unprecedented partnership. Uh, currently, uh, Microsoft and Walmart are considering buying it jointly. Mm -hmm. um, so, and Walmart has certain ideas of how they could use it for their online platform. And uh, Microsoft uh, has been waiting for a good uh, social media in as well. So they definitely have their own interests to get into it. Um, but more interesting, recently I've heard news that China has been um, uh, going over legal. They actually passed a law recently that um, may put a huge wrench when it comes to the sale of TikTok. Because yes. the, their main uh, Algorithm that like uh, presents their featured uh, for you like uh, content that shows up on your feed. Mm -hmm. um, this uh, algorithm may be protected from sale uh, to foreign countries because it's like proprietary like technology that was made in China, and, and this could prevent a sale. Um, yeah, because that's the that's a main market. thing that American, you know, Microsoft would want that or the other company I've heard yeah, that maybe it would, would, want, it would be Oracle. Core piece of, but the, yeah, that's a big piece uh, of the, the of the company. Yeah. So without that, just the company itself would, would be worth a lot less. Yeah. So China you have to completely rebuild the, the yeah. So that kind of goes back to my original point is it's like the US says we're gonna ban it unless you sell it, but then what is China do? They just threaten to to but I, I, I mean that this yeah, lock, the sale anyway. So talks, this lock kind of grabs on your first point though, doesn't it? The lock completely like it's admitting that like yeah, you can't have this. This is like directly built into us. That, that's such an admission of guilt to me. I don't look at China as some, in my opinion, and this is this is something that I'm only forceful on because of like, really largely the Uyghurs. Like, I am I am in no shape. That's a topic for another. I am in no no apt mood to give China any benefit of the doubt. When if the French want to come to us and be like, hey, like if it turns out like, and, and by the way, I'm not trying to connect TikTok to the the Uyghur massacres i'm just saying very surgically in my opinion it, it is a bit laughable to me that like they they passed this law that yet again totally talks about it, can you imagine the american congress passing a law saying that like hey sorry we we you can no no tinder's algorithm is national security you can't have it you just cannot have it I know what TikTok is. I've seen apps for, or I've seen commercials for TikToks. Very regrettably, my phone came pre-installed with TikTok on it. Here, like I've seen what it is. It's it's a it's Vine on on let's call it crack. Like that's all it is. So my thing is when the when the Chinese federal government or federal government when the Chinese communist government steps in and goes, hey, this social media ten second video, how how we bring that stuff to your feed is too important to our national security. That right there tells me you don't belong in the national marketplace in the in the global internet. But the sure. internet should be is completely. It... And again, by the way, if I may, really quick, Trump's Trump's executive order, I'm against it too. I want a dialogue 
between two nations okay. on a respectable the internet step. the internet is a sacred place man quit crapping on it like and it's the same goes for the russians too like if we can just agree i'm not saying that you can't have your great firewall and you can't stop your citizens those citizens have got to take that up by themselves we can't be the global police in that regard but like when it comes to like operating in our territory there should be at the very least very we, we test that absolutely we test the heck out of Republicans pitch this great, hey, we're not letting any Syrian refugees in, mother, and by the way, I was part of this group, regrettably, no mothers and children, what are the likelihood that those are active terrorist cells, mothers and ch children refugees in Syria? My point is, we, we do all these strict requirements for like these like families that are very difficult to verify. How do we not have double, triple, quadruple the, the standards for corporations, foreign corporations operating here? I think it's just a simple, do you operate with your government? If the answer is yes, now you have now you're this new class of foreign corporation and you're operating on a 18 year olds can't download this stuff 20 year olds do you know what i mean i'm just i haven't thought through it all but yeah my, my point is i'm not willing to give a the china the benefit of the doubt in my current i'm malleable on these opinions but like yes. the one that i'm very very rigid on so far it seems like they're a terrible place it seems like they're a terrible government it seems like it's nazi germany in modern times and the only reason we can't do anything war about it which is i'm not advocating war on its face is nuclear weapons those are really the only reason we can we can't like, hey, yeah. stop stop massacring millions of Muslims, and again, I think that's a pretty well proven thing that that's happening. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Please, your point, no, and, and both of you, to your points. So yeah, um, I think it should also be noted though that that ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, I, it sounds like they're trying. Like they, I think, know the perceptions in the West that China is not necessarily trustworthy. I mean, I think, you know. Are they based in Beijing or Guangzhou? I don't know where they're based out of exactly. But they are a Chinese They, they are a Chinese. ByteDance is a Chinese company, okay. for sure. Yeah. Okay. But I think they know that there are some bad optics, you know, in the West perspective of China. And so it sounds like they were, even before this, they were trying to take steps to, to show that they weren't colluding. So I believe they hired an, an American, to, uh, American CEO to run the American division of it. Yep. So, I mean, they're trying to make this, you know, not, yeah. it's not like they're just loading it up. In the USA. Yeah, they're, they're really? loading, they're yeah. not like they're loading up with communist people here. Um, you know, they want to try to show that, you know, that they're operating in good faith. I, I believe they, they claim that all the data on Americans is stored in America, yeah, is what they say, um, which should, I mean, you'd think that'd be something that would be easy enough to verify or not. So, I mean. So. Well, can I ask, can, do, you, do you either believe, and maybe this is a better question perhaps for you, do, do you believe that Let's say data is stored. Does data storage locate? Does the location of where you're storing zeros and ones? Can the Chinese government still access that well, information? That would be the question. That would be the question. Okay. Yeah. I don't so know. yeah, you, so I you, you can. Sorry, I mean you can easily verify whether the data is stored in the U.S. or not. Uh, the, the thing that would be more tricky about it is whether or not it's been sent to China. Like accessor sure. or a backup and a way to access that data. Yeah. Because verifying that is, is really hard. Well, I was them. just asking because Amazon's thinking that documentary, same thing happened. They were talking about opening like a data storage center and like if they could get there, the moon. And if they, not Antarctica. Like it's just cheap real estate and you can do it like in a very like safe to the global warming areas where it's not going to like so that's why I was wondering, remote data storage access has got to be a pretty easy thing to do. So for the Chinese government to say like, don't worry, we've got it stored in Nashville, but somebody in Guangzhou is able to access it just as quickly and easily on their computers. Yeah. I, that doesn't like assuage me from any worries. Okay, yeah, sure. And, and, and again, please know, I, I and what a, what a terrible, I don't want to present myself as somebody who's so inflexible on these positions. It's just when it comes to those sales, I'm not okay with what the current form either. 
it's more of like a can we just have an open and honest dialogue about let's leave your like genocide aside for a moment can we just talk about like the internet like open access to the internet is i would say like it goes along with this podcast even it, the ideals that like in, we don't have cameras in our public libraries in the u.s i think that that small thing when i first found that out i thought that was one of the coolest things ever that like the government's not allowed to know the stuff that you access like they don't need to know and we can talk about terrorism we can talk about all these the different what that affects i think that access to information should be like a, a, yeah, a human right, if, if nothing else. I'm not saying it should be like chartered in the Geneva Convention, uh, because then all of a sudden now fiber, now fiber access is a human right and it's in the Tenth Amendment somewhere. But anyways, my, my case in point, I just, my, my big thing is China kind of seems like a bad actor right now. And when it comes to like corporate sales, I don't think executive order should be able to just like force out. Yeah. If anything, it, it should be, be able to be Congress, Congress. And then we all sure. talk about it. We all have a With dialogue. democracy, exactly. not a single person. I agree. If you're going to do it, I think you do need to get Congress involved just yes. to, uh, to make it credible. Yeah. And executive orders with, notwithstanding, I think that like, maybe there is, maybe there is a conversation to be had here where it's like, listen, if you can, if you can present us with this, we will buy it and you can go about your business. Yeah, well, and I don't, the, and the other thing is, you know, I, even before this executive order, there was talk, speculation of, of TikTok was, yeah. was potentially going to spin off the American, or, you know, Western divisions and list it maybe in like London or some other country. I, I'd heard at least there was sure. talk of maybe considering, and then they would just have like a minority bite dance. The parent company would keep a minority stake. So they would not, you know, they would not be controlling it, but they would still have like a, a financial interest in it. Um, and it would be kind of run and operated in a in a Western country for at least the, the Western users. Um, but obviously, you know, when you just make these across the board things like this executive order does, it says you have to do it in a 45 days, that makes it hard to, to try to find any of these actual maybe good compromises that could have Absolutely. happened in a more flexible uh, you know, dialogue. Yeah. Um, and I guess one, one more thing I'll say about it Please. is you know, I, I do think it's a little bit odd that we're so strict on Chinese data, but yet, you know, we have these American platforms and I mean, they, they take so much of our data and we don't really seem to have a problem with that. And, you know, they could, for all we know, they could be selling it to people in China and they could buy it anyway. I mean, we, you know, th like the internet is very fast and, you know, these, these companies get this very specific data on you, even American companies, and they could very easily sell it to Chinese companies and it could end up they're just the same. So, I mean, if, if you really want data privacy, I think your best bet is not banning foreign companies. I think your best bet would be passing data privacy laws that apply to everyone, say American companies and Chinese companies and any other companies that want to do business here. This is how our privacy works in our country. And I just think you should apply it across the board in a fair way without singling out specific people or specific companies. I think if you're going to make a law, you should be very clear. This applies to everyone. Agreed. I would say that it's a, uh, uh unsavory and unironically hilarious that like yeah uncle sam doing that to us no way as i have a completely unplugged google uh, thing over there we don't <laughs> we don't trust we don't trust like that okay so uh basically i know we were talking about executive orders uh and everything on that note i think we'll we're maybe safe to take a transition to what will be our probably last topic of the first podcast which is um kind of talking about the remnants of the Republican Party after Trump. And the conversation really can be after 2020 or after 2024. What comes next? Yeah. So uh, I guess if I'm starting off the conversation, uh, I would say that 
I don't have an answer. And to be kind of honest with you, after exploring this, like just a little after some reading some articles and stuff, I am kind of like, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm also like, I feel helpless for the Republican party in that like, after such a terrible cult of personality, and it doesn't matter what year it ends, I think this is kind of an enduring truth. It's like those cult of personalities, I think only ever like succeed perhaps if they have like a natural successor and Mike Pence is a completely different person. Like there really is nobody that like ex expresses this popular, this like weird warped populism that Trump does. And I don't know, I don't know at least policy direction. I don't know what comes next. I know you and I, Jacob have talked about, and I think actually you and I too, talked about a little bit about like, maybe the, the libertarian aspects could save the Republican party where it's, they let go a little bit of the religious right and they maybe shift a bit more towards like, let's go all in on this, like, you know, kind of capitalism, we're willing to cooperate because we're a bit more, we've let go of that like religious judgy aspect perhaps. I don't know, I after Trump, if he loses in 2020, everybody in the Republican party is dismally disliked. Those who were kind of viewed as his enablers, the Lincoln Project, for example, has made not only Trump their crosshair man, they've made every single Republican. They're going oh, after man. Susan, Col yeah, they're going after Susan Collins, Mitch McConnell. They're going all in on Cory Gardner. It's just, hey, if anybody wants to take it after that, I just, I'm, I feel hopeful that like something good will come of it. Hopefully like some moderate, like unifier, who that is. I think he's got, if Trump loses, he's got five months to come on the scene. And if Trump wins, We've got to pray that the country is still like, seriously, I view Trump as like, not a threat. I, I don't, I'm not fatalistic about the country, but like if he wins, I'm definitely wondering what like year two of that looks like and kind of gritting my teeth at what two more years after that looks like. Like put it in the frame of like another midterms. Do the Democrats just win more? To take the Senate and more in the House? And then what happens if Trump is a, what happens if Trump somehow squeaks this victory out and they take the Senate and keep the House. Are we just in for literally more four more years, of, two more years at the very least of just absolute lame duck, they won't agree? It would just yeah. be so nice. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, somebody take it over. I, those are my thoughts. I, I know they're kind of scrambled, but truly I think that's where I'm at. I, I don't have a good answer and maybe that's why I don't have like a unified. Yeah, group. well, I guess, you know, it, the, the, maybe the, the most electorally successful Republican would probably be a more moderate one if you look at kind of the east coast so? I, I think so if you look at the east coast you get these democratic states on the northeast new england states like say maryland uh, and you get their governor larry larry hogan one of the he's a republican of a you know a blue state very you know very well liked um and i think you kind of need to get some of those if you're a republican i think you need to flip the map a little bit and try to get some of these maybe you know more moderate states to flip over to your side I, but it's like the republicans as of recently have been going in the other direction they're going more extreme more like narrow you know like trump is is the epitome of he he does what he thinks is best for his base and he doesn't really seem to care about the other side he's the perfect like whittler of your, yeah. your fringe groups that are willing yeah. to say yes he, he's not a coalition he's not a coalition builder i think you need somebody who's going to build a coalition between maybe moderate democrats who would be willing to say okay a moderate republican try to get sort of those those swing voters yep. to back you and then govern in a more you know compromising way. Um, and I don't know exactly, I, mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about what Larry Hogan's positions are on, on certain things, but I feel like you need someone who's not gonna be a, an extreme candidate. But I think the, the thing that's that history has shown is it's 
at least as time has gone on, candidates have been getting, it seems like, more extreme on the Republican side, not less. And then, you know, part of that's probably the, the primary process is- But what's with them winning? What's with extreme Republicans, let's call them, winning, and then Bernie Sanders losing in primaries? I, I wonder what's yeah. with the left, but I will say, the, I think the American yeah, Joe Biden is like, Joe Biden is obviously very moderate. Like the Republicans need like a Joe Biden of their party, I think, if they want to win. He's like a Mitt Romney in the sense. Yeah. Yeah, we, but see, that, that, that's just the thing, though. The media, and I will say, after watching, like, and maybe I'm getting a warped sense because I've been watching the media to describe the media, but, like, <laughs> the, conservative, the conservative media is terrible. Like, they're just as bad as the far left. Like, Hannity and Limbaugh, in my opinion, they're just constantly, like, barking up the, what? Tucker, yeah, yeah, everybody Tucker. who has control in the Republican narrative, like, through the eight years of Obama, any of their recordings are just as vitriolic as the left are now about Trump. Oh, yeah, for stuff. sure. Like, they compared, they compared Obama to Hitler. Like, they definitely did. Glenn Beck did at least once on Fox. And it's just kind of like, I didn't know it was this bad. Yeah, we don't really have a right to talk when it comes to exactly. the president, the Republican storm, anyway. Yeah, um, it's... Another question. Uh, the, I know the Republican governor of Florida won by a narrow margin. Is he, uh, would he be more considered moderate? Who? Sorry, uh, the Republican governor of Florida. Rick Santos, or Rick DeSantis? Yeah, I'm not really familiar with his policies. That's a really good, I would say that he's a very big Trump supporter. He's very loyal to Trump. Sure. So, which that's like the only active right. gauge anymore. Yeah. That's the only thing you yeah. hear. It's not about policy. I know I sound so whiny. It's just like, that's the only state I know any of them now. It's like, give me a name. No, I think he said one bad thing about Trump. Trump doesn't like him. And even now, uh, Republicans who aren't just like completely with Trump, they're being like thrown yeah. a, a strong primary strong. challenger that gets huge financial support. Um, and if you're a Republican and you're not supporting Trump, uh, you're going to get a, a primary contender who is, has a good chance of actually kicking you out. Well, and that's just it. I mean, Trump is very popular among Republicans. How many that's, Republican governors are there? Yeah. yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at the states, there's a lot of blue states. I mean, we, we're just looking at the map right now, and there's a lot of, of states in the, in the Northeast that are, we would consider, at least in presidential elections, heavily blue, solidly blue, but yet there's a fair amount of, with Republican governors. Um, and, and it's just, it, it's kind of interesting. It's to six to the, three. The, the breakdown yeah. um, of, of people. But I think a lot of those governors, I mean, to, to win in those states, they have to take more moderate positions. But I think that's what you need. But to, to Josh's point is, yeah, if you're not more extreme, then they'll find, you know, the party will someone find someone more extreme yeah. because, again, Donald Trump says exactly what the Republican base wants to hear. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he that's why they like him so much. But he doesn't say what independents want to hear. He doesn't say what, you know, Democrats want to hear. So it's very much narrowly focused on his base. And that, that wins you primaries. And that's the tricky part is you're, the people in the primaries who are voting for you love it, but the broader electorate doesn't. Exactly. And that's where if you look, you know, if you look at the last, what, 30 years, how many times has a Republican won the popular vote? I Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's only once in yeah. George W. Bush in 2004. Mm -hmm. The last third, I mean, that's longer than any of us yeah, have been alive. Crazy. One time. Where so a Republican is one of the popular vote. Um, had the, uh, if the Democrats ever had the ability to uh, get rid of the electoral control college, it would be almost impossible for Republican person yeah, and, to and become president. So to me, I mean, when I see things like that, you know, it's like, to some extent, the Republican Party has to 
find a message that is appealing. I mean, we exactly. do live in a, in a, it's a republic, but I mean, we believe in like democracy. And like, if, if people don't believe in what you're saying, at some point you got to look in the mirror and say, how do we make this message appealing to people? Like, yes. what do we need to change so that people will actually want us? Just because you can win with a minority vote doesn't mean that that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, exactly. like that, I think generally we would like to see the electoral college line up with a popular vote because I mean, we want generally there to be consensus of like who's truly the, the leader. If the majority doesn't agree with the leader, that's that's not that's a not good a thing. Democracy. Yeah, and I, I think I mean, and we, obviously the, the electoral college as a whole. Pandora's box. We can we can delve exactly. into that later. I mean, we we can uh, I'm sure get into and specifics. Thing, of that, but... Kind of going into uh, the topic of what, what comes next for the Republican Party. Um, I know this is something that they uh, attempted and almost started uh, back when Obama was still president. Um, the Republicans they may have like a, a solid base where they can get votes, but um, it doesn't seem like they they were really appealing to. Uh, Hispanic votes and minorities, and yeah. Votes. yeah. And back in uh, like the maybe like 2011, 2012, they were seeming to, to kind of try to take a more open stance to immigration so they could get more appeal. And they almost passed the uh, legislation on it, but I don't know, like some of it was um, stopped because of uh, more extreme uh, members of the party would started to oppose it and you had um the, the tea party candidates that really kind of put a, a stop they just wouldn't um uh, work with uh john boner Baron. uh and uh what did you say <laughs> I, I, uh, I can edit it out what yeah, the hell john did you boner. say did you say john boner <laughs> <laughs> Fifty-seven, roughly fifty-seven thirty or so. Fifty-seven thirty to fifty-seven. Well, let's say fifty-seven thirty to fifty-eight. John, hey, okay, two, years. one. So, anyways, John, what about him? Like um, Republicans just wouldn't sign up with him. Yeah, like he couldn't get a majority of his party to agree with him mm -hmm. because like, he couldn't get the Tea Party to vote to agree with anything he said. And he was like had to take like secret uh, meetings with. Uh, President Obama, because him being in the same room as Obama was considered like it's yeah, just a severe betrayal. Like, yeah, and and going back to when the Tea Party uh, gained power is really you saw this like new strain of uh, Republicans that you could say like really brought on the rise of Donald Trump. Like these Republicans who who didn't really want to work with the Democrats and didn't really want to appeal to a the obstructionism. Yeah, and they just would shut down anything. Yep. Their main goal wasn't to like um, put out new policy and new um, uh, like solutions solutions to problems. <laughs> they they were just there to stop whatever Obama was trying to do. Yeah, and I agree. You, you could argue that when that started is where you really started to see um, like politics and like bipartisanship just kind of die. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a, that's not a healthy thing in a democracy. I mean, no. we, if you have a whole, you know, half of half of the people in power who don't want to govern or don't, have, I mean, and we, we can even talk about how the Republican National Convention, they didn't even put out a new platform, which is something that they do uh, pretty much every, every convention is both parties will put out a platform of this is what we stand for, this is what we want to accomplish. 
and the Republicans didn't even have. I mean, they, they just recycled their one from 2016. They really, they really support Trump. Yeah, but all they said is, we will support Trump and what he wants to do. And like, that's not governing. That's not a policy. Like, like what are you going to do specifically? But it's more just this vague, whatever Trump decides to do this day, they'll support. And I think that's not a, a healthy way to, to govern is, yeah. is on the whims of one person. That's not really what America is, is about. I mean, we, I don't know. If you're gonna get, if you're gonna run for for office, you should have a, an idea of what you're gonna actually do when you're there. And you're and to run. some extent, I mean, this could go back to even, you know, when Donald Trump did take power, and the Republicans had the Senate and the House, they had basically all, all the, all the power that they need to pass things, and yet they, they mm-hmm. campaign all these issues. They say we're gonna repeal and replace Obamacare, but yet nobody actually had an idea of what to replace it with, so it didn't happen. They say they, they just it's like you had all these years leading up to you know, from what has passed in what, 2010 or 2009? I mean, they had years and these people campaigned. They're, what some of these people's core campaign was, we're gonna repeal and replace Obamacare, but they never they never said with what? Almost a decade. Yeah, but then, then they get power and then what do they do? They can't repeal it because they don't have any better idea of what to replace it with. So then you're just back at, well, I guess we're just gonna keep it now. You know, so it's, it's just like- take out bits and pieces. Of yeah, it. just make it worse, but it's like, that's not a solution. That's just, that's just, obstruction well i mean i think the underlying theory is that like <clears throat> that what the founders created is working right like congress is act accurately reflecting i feel like and I, and I do i feel like it's exacerbated by the media i feel like at every juncture and certainly social media makes it worse certainly because it's just like this contentious environment that nobody can enjoy I, like and i was a cause of it i i speak from actually both the cause and effect of this issue just like Look at Facebook just to like tie this whole podcast back into it. Like, look at Facebook in this one juncture. You were well aware, and I'm sure you were no stranger. Uh, I wrote like toxic crap on Facebook, like politically. Like it was just there's no room for anybody else's opinion. It's I'm de- dogmatically correct, and nobody wanted to talk with me. And I certainly didn't convince anybody that I was right. If they disagreed with me, who was I to be diplomatic and reach out to them? I was rather just going to beat them over the head with my opinion. That being said, social media feeds into this. Like you go into, it's either a complete echo chamber mm-hmm. or it's a toxic environment for you. It's one of the two. It's either completely a reassuring safe place where you've only, and I feel like this is a lot of weight, like to be honest, love them to death, every single one of them, but our friends in the 40 and 50 year old category right now, those people go onto Facebook for those two reasons. Well, let's say three and, and uncomplicate the mess. It's grandmas and grandpas looking at Facebook pictures with family who sometimes get caught in the political crap but not often, perhaps. They're already, they're already, there's plenty of people in their 60s and 70s who get caught up in political talk. And, and, but know, I'm saying those people aren't malleable. They're not going on Facebook and changing their opinions. They're going on there to rag on Obama or rag on Trump. One of the two. <laughs> they either hate one of them or hate the other. My point is, rather, what I'm saying is underlying this problem, social media, the media, the news media, I think they're, God, I think they're terrible. Uh, every single one of them, Congress is reflecting uh, this like demise of like any form of compromise in, in the general community too. It's not just Congress, right? Let's fault Congress oh, for what they can be faulted for. You don't come point. up with ideas, okay? Stop right there. Because if you're talking about the, <coughs> the bitter divide <coughs> between opinions, I see that every day at work. I see that every day on, on the internet. Like it's, it's American culture right now and it's sad. And that's where I think the Democrats have a huge leg up here. I think they got an easy win right here, just like an alley-oop, like, here you go, it's easy. 
quit quit demonizing the tr the Trump supporters who are now willing to be independents. Don't talk to us like you voted for Trump. You guys are morons, and yeah, you're kind of welcome, but only because you add numbers to the end. To no, do you think they're doing that? Well, where is Biden? I'm serious. This is a genuine critique. You cannot be in that basement for the entire election. You can't do it. The farthest he goes is Pittsburgh. I'm serious. Like that's a genuine critique. No, How are you not coming to like North Dakota? He did recently visit. Um, uh, and maybe yeah, maybe my like critique's lost. He visited the Wisconsin uh, city. Um, oh, Kenosha. Kenosha. Yeah. Yeah, recently visited. Kenosha. Okay. So he's making good for him. Good. And so like, I would just say, that? if I can just say something, just to, to your point. So like, I feel like the Democrats are trying to win over those. If you look at their convention that they had a couple weeks ago, they had John Kasich, a Republican. Uh, former governor, I believe, of, of Ohio. But they had him in a prominent, or not prominent, but like he yeah, definitely had a so. piece of it. I think but they give him more time than, than some of the fringes on the far left. Absolutely, but so my, my friend, trying. I think your critique is leveled the exact same way at the Democrats as it is at the Republican, or, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, you're asking the question, do you, I believe that the Democrats are reaching out? Sure, their convention might reflect that, but they're reflect, they're, I would say that their um, their convention had two phases. The first phase was, look at the very few, sure, they're prominent, Look at the very few Republican names that we have that are now supporting Trump, and they all went on. Trump. Or I'm so sorry, supporting Biden. Uh, they did support Trump. Now they don't, right? Yep. Or whatever their story is. Yep. I, don't, I don't think Kasich was much a Trump. No, I don't think he was. I think he was a never Trumper all, all the time. Case in point, they had that slot. Then phase two, which occupied 75% of it, was Donald Trump is terrible. And now Julia Seymour or whatever, uh, the lady from what show was it? I'm sorry. Julia, she's on Veep now. She was the one, Dreyfus, Julia Louis-Dreyfus oh, or whatever. She was the one who was like mouthing scores. Well, yeah, she was the one, she was the host. She yeah. was like the, it was basically Hollywood transitioning between Hollywood slides and some like saying, Donald Trump is terrible. And then a week later we watched and went, Joe Biden will destroy America. Those are your policy choices, please vote. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just kind of like, what are we talking about? The Biden produced anything successful. Yeah, exactly. The Democrats, if Bernie Sanders was the person up there, you'd have policy. You'd have, you wouldn't have this whole list of like people. And I'm, I'm glad that the Democrats are latching onto this like experienced. Uh, the only thing I would say you avoid, and let's save this for another podcast, the identity politics. I think it's bad. I, I'm not talking about that here. I'm just talking about a big old list of people. It was senator after senator. Like, the first openly bisexual one, the 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 Tammy Duckworth who had Trump had just had huge beef with that she has you know her prosthetic legs, and God bless her soul like thank you for your service like how dare Trump say anything bad about these people, but this is I don't hear policy. You have an easy alley oop to just tell me like one tax percentage, and boom you've won the night. You have one opportunity to tell me about what is your plan for immigrants. What's your plan? To, I want to hear a pl plan that gets people on a pathway to citizenship now. Is it feasible in the modern American, in my modern American sense, is some immigration reform feasible from the Democrats? Moderate, please. Yes, I'd love to hear that. Do you know what I mean? It's just like nights of celebrityism. And, and it's just like, yeah, it's great. And I'm, I'm faulting the Republicans here just kind of for different reasons. Sure. It's basically like, let's scoop up as many minority friends as we can that say Donald Trump, this isn't America, this isn't racist, we're not racist. And then let's go hard and let's go furious into if you vote, get the green screen, get the fire going. This is what Joe Biden's America is. This is how terrible it is. It's god awful in here. The temperature has raised 10 degrees. 
and now Mike Pence. And then he's just nice and quiet and gentle. <laughs> and then Donald Trump on every night of the convention, every single night. Or, or his kids, yeah. Yeah, or, or yeah, 60% of the lineup, 60% of the lineup had the surname Trump. It's just like both conventions sucked. Yeah, and, and I think- For individual reasons. And I, I'm hopeful that, you know, when these debates start, I think maybe we'll get a little more specifics and contrasting policies. And, you know, because I mean, to some extent, conventions perhaps. are just political. I mean, right. they're, they're kind of just- It is peculiar. Trump got a bigger boost than Biden, though. It is very peculiar. It seems like that seemed to be like the, the, the plot after in the polls, as much as we might not believe them. It was just interesting. Trump, like, yeah, Trump narrowed the gap from like nine points to like five in most polls. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. But yeah, I mean, the, I think the it debates is. will hopefully be constructive and, and point out some of the policy differences. So and, let's, some of the, sometimes you can get into those better when it's like, this is you know, one to one. One to one, yep. yeah. So let's hear it. Let's, let's wrap up the episode then uh, with kind of our final Give me a prediction of what the Republican Party with all the, and it was rather pessimistic on my side, and I apologize. Give me your guys' prediction of, regardless of the year, can you give me one characteristic of what the future Republican Party looks like? Is it, is it are we back to some maybe, like hopefully a meritoc like meritocracy reset, but it's maybe like smaller, we've like vanquished 50% and we have to rebuild that coalition. Is it like libertarian? And again, I'm asking you not not to describe what you want, but what it will be. What's your prediction of what it will look like after Trump loses? I, I would say, if I had to guess what I think it will be, yep. I would say I think they're going to go in a similar vein of, of Trump. I think they'll go with someone who's who's more on the social issues, trying to pick you know the, the divisive issues. I feel like that's that's something Trump does a lot. He picks very divisive issues, or he makes issues that shouldn't be divisive divisive. Yeah. Um, for like masks or you know things like that. He says things that are traditionally nonpartisan makes them divisive. I think that seems to be kind of the trend of, of where it's going. And like I said, the the reason I say that is because Republican voters, if you look at the polls, they really love Trump. Mm -hmm. So I think they'll try to replicate. Uh, and of course, no one is going to be probably quite like Trump. I mean, you probably get a, a little more, um, maybe a little bit more diplomatic in, in the talking points. But I think that the general idea would be to focus on some of these more social issues, you know, immigration, those kind of things, and, and maybe less on maybe the, the more economic issues. Yeah. I don't know. That seems realistic to me. You got anything to add? Yeah, I don't, I don't see them, like, so say if Trump loses um, this election or if he leaves uh, office in four years, um, I don't see there being much of a change. I think, if anything, that they may go back to kind of being the opposition party, uh, the party that that's blocking like, obstructions is more about stopping what uh, Democrats want to do than coming out their own uh, policy. I that's, that's a good that's point. Kind that's kind of what I would predict, and they may do that for four to eight years. Um, but I think it, long term, I, I don't think it's sustainable. I think that eventually they will have to be forced to adapt and. Um, adopt policies that are more um, wide open and looser immigration policies if they want to be able to um, stay in power that, that they'll be forced to adapt in the long term because do you think that that's it do you think it's it's hinged or like the achilles heel is immigration policy yeah i think with policy like that and just reaching out to more diverse voters in, in general it, like because america is only getting more diverse and the growth rate is, is going down so um, the majority of new americans going to be more diverse Americans. And if they want to stay in power in the long term, they're going to have to be forced to adapt eventually, I guess. 
Yeah, and I mean, I don't even know if it, like, immigration is obviously a very, you know, obvious, kind of generally has like a racialized kind of tone to it, but even just like non-immigration issues, like just like making an effort to try to win minority voters. I mean, if you look yeah. at like the black support of, of Republicans is usually very, very low. Exactly. And like the Hispanic is usually quite, quite low. So I, even just making like yeah, trying, just at least try to like uh, care about them yeah. and, and the issues that they care about, mm -hmm. like reaching out to them, like the Democrats, you know, generally that's, that's a lot of their base. They, they make effort. And I think just Republicans yeah. need to at least try to care about issues that, that those people care about, exactly. whether it's immigration or economy or whatever. I think they just need to like, at least make an effort to try to, yeah, like you were saying, expand the base beyond, you know, just the white middle-aged voters. That's kind of the core block of, yeah. of the Republican party. In the same way, young voters, they, they need to be able to appeal to young voters as well. Yeah. What do you think, Austin? What are, what are your predictions? Yeah, honestly, I, I, both of you, I think you've hit it almost square right on the head. I, I would love to be more optimistic. Uh, and again, I, I think I've made it pretty clear uh, probably in the next episode, I'd like to talk more about like libertarianism and any of it's kind of like uh, any, um, I don't know, any like good things we can take from it and apply to like what we imagine what ought to be kind of thing. But um, in that same vein, yeah, I would just say that like in the future of the Republican Party, I think that in immigration, I think if that's its it, Achilles heel, exactly right, it's got to definitely open up a little bit more. I. Like I fail to understand. I watched like the Netflix, uh, a little bit of the Netflix series Immigration Nation, uh, and it's it paints obviously very in a very like visceral tone. It paints like the immigrants who are getting locked up and who are like crying on camera about their children they haven't seen in months, and like all of that stuff is super sad. And, and maybe I'm a terrible person. It is more than possible, but I'm I mean I'm not shy in admitting that like. Those immigration laws, they don't they don't phase me really. Like I I think controlled legal immigration is good, but I think both of those two adjectives that, that precede immigration are important. And like I'm not saying that like the conversation of increasing the volume that we take and like increasing green cards, visas, anything like that, I think those are all great conversations. And if we need them, that's awesome. And I think those people should have pathways to citizenship. I have become far more liberal on my like immigration stance, but I'm also like I also see the need for borders, I guess, in the most innocent of terms. And that's where it's like, yeah, those stories suck. And I'm not advocating for family separation necessarily. I'm just saying, I certainly do see like, yeah, I've heard like, you know, if you get pulled over for, with a DUI and you're an American citizen, you will get separated with you from your child if they're in the car. And like a crime is a crime. I just, I, and again, maybe that's a different conversation. Maybe it's a bad analogy, but all in all, I just like, on the immigration point, I definitely see Republicans needing to move left. It's just, I definitely hope they're able to like keep the small nuggets of like, you know, closed borders is a good thing, monitoring. I know Josh and I were just talking about like, rather than stupid physical barrier walls, why aren't we just building like digital ones? Like just get a good like drone program. California uses drones for their high to monitor highway speeds in the desert where they don't have cops. Like use those systems, like use smarter systems and be humane about it. Like I'm, treat them like human beings. Yeah. All above all, that's and I agree with that point. I think Trump is terrible in that in that uh, regard. Finally, my point on like or my my belief on like what the Republican Party looks like afterwards. I hope it's with a dash of libertarianism, just with like, but I also hope more so, it's like a dash of like or like a big old chunk of reconciliation and compromise. Like I hope the party, honestly, there's got to be like the same market for like 
I always said that if I opened a business, I would always like try to like lower the price as low as I can to get the most amount of customers. That would be my philosophy. And maybe it's a super simpleton one, but truly there's gotta be like a huge market for like compromise right now. Like that's the reason like we're starting this podcast is because like, I hope not only that it's some like archive of what we all think and like that we can look back on happily and be like, oh yeah, I'm glad we did this. But also hopefully something that reaches people in the sense that like, you may not hear it like, 100% agree with what you're saying because that's certainly not what I'm trying to do is like convince people at, at this point it's just more of like espousing what I think is and re having respect for other people's opinions and that's where it's like for the future of the Republican Party I hope the biggest thing is regardless of policy because we've all been short on that lately it's all it's more of like reconciliation and compromise just get right there in the middle have your fringe people that like are really hardcore North Dakotans and they just want like to people stay out of their business and stuff, fine. Keep your hardcore conservatives, but like be willing to compromise and be willing to like, yeah, if the Speaker of the House has to sneak into the opposition party's White House under the cover of night and the party can't know, you've, you've, you've reached Something's a bad point. Wrong. You've reached a terrible point. And that's where it's like, I think it's easy to fix. And it's an alley-oop in the same sense that like the Democrats espousing any policy at this point, contrary to Trump, rather than just saying Trump is bad, I think that you've won. And that's where hopefully the future of the Republican Party goes. It's all inclusive, at least in the idea column. So uh, any other notes? Sounds good. Awesome. Well, with that, I think that concludes the first episode. Uh, again, right now we don't have much to pitch. We might have like a small, or I might add a small little like addendum to this just on my own, just pre-recorded if we have like a location to like download or, or listen to this episode. Uh, again, first episode of uh, Rediscovering Liberalism with Austin, Jacob, and Josh. Uh, signing off for now. I hope you catch, uh, again, planning to do this, I would say maybe like once, twice a month, uh, depending on availability. Again, this podcast, it's just a hair over one hour, about an hour and 15 minutes or so. So again, uh, stay tuned and we will put the word out hopefully on social media or somewhere, uh, again, maybe at the end of this episode. Take care.